What's happening, everybody? And thanks for tuning in to the Crash Bang Boom Drumming Podcast. Today's guest is Will Goldsmith. He presently plays with Assertion, as well as Sunny Day Real Estate. The Fire Theft and was a former member of the Foo Fighters as well. Speaking of Assertion, their new record drops April 9th, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And with Will as a guy who comes up a lot amongst drummers as an inspiration, it was super cool catching up with him. We got to talk about the recording experiences for some of the Sunny Day Real Estate records, as well as the Fire Theft and, of course, the new Assertion record. So hope y'all dig the journey. Will's also a fellow July 4th cancer drummer, as am I, so how about that? Shout out to my sponsor, New Orleans Record Press. If you're looking to release some vinyl for your project, hit them up at neworleansrecordpress.com, where you can check out all the electroplating, mastering, design, packaging, vinyl coloring options, and a whole lot more. They even got a real-time quote generator for you to keep tabs on everything. They also print 12 and 7 inch records at 150 and 180 gram variants, and they do small runs of 100 and larger runs up under the thousands. So hit them up, and that's NewOrleansRecordPress.com. Lastly, do please keep tabs on artists, live streams, lessons, tutorials, and masterclasses from your favorite musicians, merch, or physical releases that are for sale, as well as websites like SaveOurStages.com that are very much looking to help out struggling venues in these tough times. All right, without further ado, the one, the only, Will Goldsmith. Here we go. Crash, bang, boom. Crowds go mad with joy. Yes! All right, I'm here with Will Goldsmith, one of my favorite drummers, man, a fellow 4th of July drummer at that. We have the same birthday. I believe you're 71. I'm 76, so... Oh, wow. I know I, 72, but oh, uh, wow, you're, wow, you're the only other person I've met who also has a July 4th birthday. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm the bicentennial 4th on top of that. So if I can live to be 100, William, it's going to be one hell of a fucking birthday, man. I used to have the bicentennial Vista Light Ludwig. Come actually, on. At one point. Yeah, that was very <laughs> cool. So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, how are you doing, man? I've been wanting to catch up with you, so it's uh, it's this is really cool to be able to finally talk to you. I've been a fan of your plan for a long time. Love Sunny Day Real Estate. Really dug the fire theft. So many of your projects throughout the years. So definitely cool talking to you, man. Uh, how have you? How are you making out, buddy? Uh, great, actually. It's just been really, really great to be playing again and recording actually again. Yeah. Even though the first record is done. We're about 70% into the second record right now. So, yeah. Nice. Keeping busy. New band, Assertion. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the the lemon year that was 2020 and what appears to be all making some lemonade out of a lemon year with this new record. <laughs> Due out April 9th, entitled Intermission. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, just just what was going on with 2020. Did y'all just kind of lock down, record, and just crank out tunes? Well, how is it going? <laughs> I think it'll, the like the latter part of 2019, we started recording and then we were just doing it just to make demos and stuff but then just kind of started justin mainly started really evolving his engineering skills and um we got some better mics recently and stuff like that so we just decided to do the record here which is how i prefer to do it anyway so absolutely so it's been a relatively easy process without maybe the pressures and and everything else associated with maybe going into a studio and that whole feeling well, yeah, yeah, there, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not costing you a certain amount of money per exactly. day. It's, you know, but uh, so, yeah, there's that freedom and it's just it's a more comfortable atmosphere and you can basically sit and write and arrange a song and then track it. You know, it's very cool. So, yeah. Awesome, man. When did yeah. uh, when did Assertion start? Because I feel like I started seeing it on social media, maybe in like 2018 or so. Is that about when you started? 
it was 2019 i'm pretty sure it yeah was. we okay. started yeah yeah gotcha so. i could be wrong i don't know time is weird for me <laughs> i have a hard time with it so but yeah no i'm pretty sure it's 2019 gotcha you had yeah. mentioned uh playing again had you gone through a little bit of a break where you hadn't been playing so much yeah i literally walked away from music completely for about nine years so. nine years mm-hmm that's amazing, man. Yeah. That that whole time, was it a relief to not have it in your life, but also kind of in the back of your head that maybe it was something that you'd want to get back into to have that outlet again? Yeah, no, it was more like a poison that it wasn't in my life, but I pretended that it wasn't, you know. But, I mean, I was also busy with becoming a parent and, you know, trying to make ends meet and things like that. So, And I also knew that I couldn't go on tour for, for you know, extended periods of time because I'm a dad. So Right. But also using that as an excuse to keep hiding from music, <laughs> essentially. I was just, I just was disenchanted for a while, but, but I'm not anymore, so that's good. Wow. Was there, did you have to knock the rust off to get back on the instrument? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, there were some cobwebs that I had to shake off. Still shaking a couple off, but definitely a lot better now. Yeah. It's funny how muscle memory works. You can neglect something and maybe some of the finer skills associated with it that you had polished up. Uh, you won't have those immediately, but you can reacquire them. But at least the foundation of it is there. But I've found if even just taking a break from injuries and getting back sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 the mechanics. Sometimes you can overwork yourself because you're trying to get something out. It's just reacclimating yourself to the, the physical aspect, especially with how physical you play. I imagine mm-hmm. was it was it was it painful a little bit to get back into it initially? Or yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely was. <laughs> took maybe about a week or so before, like, you know, I didn't have to, like, deal with, like, my arms cramping up about, you know, like, about an hour in to, to playing. But, uh, but yeah, but so far, but since then, it's it's not a problem, so. Awesome. I've been digging uh, seeing you play in that Craviato kit, and uh, I was yeah. curious about how you came across that thing, because uh, it's a big kit. I see it in the back. I love the sound of it. That's a really interesting company that makes in- incredible drums. Uh, yes. What's the story with that kit? Jared, my friend Jared, who worked there, he contacted me and he said, hey, we want to custom build you a kit based on the dimensions of your kit that I was that I was using at the time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, are you interested? And I was like, yes. Amazing. <laughs> you know? So they did it. And yeah, that's been that's my new home, <laughs> basically. That is amazing, man. How when how long how old is that kit? Oh, so, yeah, that was I sadly, tragically, um, I got this kit right when I stopped playing. So wow. at the time I was playing a 1947 Gretsch and uh, I had been playing that. And then when I got this kit, it just so happens it coincided with when I, you know, everything kind of like I walked away. So, but um, I took them with me everywhere. So yeah, right. Wow. That's crazy to think that you went through that nine year period and you just had this incredible kit that was made for you sitting there. And then when you came out, that had to have been a little bit like a present and being like, oh, wow, this has just been sitting there waiting to be played, and now you're back on it. That's that's a cool reuniting. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, when I would walk by them during those years and see them and be like, shut up. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of drum sets, man, your first drum set. What do you remember about your first drum set? It was a Yamaha. I remember okay. that. And it was, yeah. And uh, I still have, I think one of the toms but unfortunately the rest of the kit was destroyed in a flood but um oh wow but yeah that was yeah that, i got that at 13. i started i started begging for a drum kit when i was about five and then it took until i was 13 for them to finally 
give in. And uh, yeah, I got it on Christmas, set it up, and and just and immediately started playing. So it's crazy. Did your parents give you shit at all about what they, the present they had given you, given the noise that was now in the house? <laughs> no. No, they didn't. Although I had them in the basement for a while, and then I would set my brother's speakers up behind me, and then I would like basically blast Led Zeppelin and The Who and different things to try to play along, you know. Yeah. But they were quite a ways away at the time, so. Yeah, right. In the house. Amazing. You mentioned uh, the Zeppelin and The Who, so Bonham and uh, Keith Moon, respectively. They're two very polar opposite uh, players, in a sense. I mean, you have such of the, the concrete mixer foundation that was Bonham, and then you have this wild animal that was, mm-hmm. that was Keith. So that's interesting yeah. that those two, maybe the spectrum between those two players, those being your influences, I would imagine that that is something that would last yeah. for you for many years to come. Yeah, it was John Bonham's foot that I was very much so interested in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. And his, his tuning and everything else. Well, sure, and his everything else, not just his foot, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was uh, very inspired by both. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've spoken about it and the bass players with the other part of the rhythm section for, for the Who and Zeppelin, you have John at Whistle and then you have John Paul Jones, both kind of like walking style, fluid sort of bass style, yeah. but then two totally different drummers. Yep. And then that's what informed that rhythm section. It's interesting how that turned out, right? I know. It is very interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Do you feel like Bonham to this day is is uh, still with you? I mean, I feel like that's always been something that I've heard in your plan is Bonham. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But I mean, yeah, there's been other influences, but as far as that foundational inspiration, yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of them. Right. Sure. Absolutely. We were talking a little bit about sort of the the, the bombast in which you play. Were there any particular uh, heavy players in the Seattle area or local scene when you were growing up that? sort of maybe gave you some inspiration into the ferocity in which you would sort of embrace in your own playing? Yeah, like Dale Crover. Of course. And I went and saw Nirvana play with Sonic Youth, and he was playing drums. And, uh, yeah, that was very mind-blowing. Nice. I was in high school, actually, when that when I went and saw that. So, yeah, that had a big impact on me. But as the years went on, you know, Mac McNeely, Jesus Lizard. Pete, of course. And we were just talking about Pete Moffat, mm-hmm. government issue. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's I could there's a laundry list. But yeah, those are a few key ones. Yeah. Sure. Oh, Scotty from Carp. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned the Jesus Lizard as well. I've always felt that there was a little bit of of a Zeppelin sort of rhythm section happening in the Jesus Lizard as well, despite how sort of angular and bizarre that band was. Yeah. I've heard them being compared to Led Zeppelin and the birthday party. <laughs> I could <laughs> see that. Put together, yeah. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, but I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. Yeah. yeah, right? Oh, man, I've loved the Jesus Lizard. Such a, an acquired taste. I remember when I got my first cassette tape from them, it was used from this this crazy place in the French Quarter in New Orleans, and I got it, and I heard it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? I just wasn't mm-hmm. ready for it. And then I and think- then you saw them live? No, actually, I got oh, fired okay. from my job, and I revisited it, and it, there was just something having been fired. And I was like, this is now the soundtrack for this time in life. I got fired. Oh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say, like, that would be either the antidote or going to see them live and being like, oh, okay, I get it. You know? Right. So, right. Sure. Were you seeing them back in the, in the day, I imagine, for those early records? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then when we ended up playing shows with them, I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> like, whoa, you know, crazy. Uh, 
That's awesome. God, I love that band. Uh, when Sunny Day Real Estate uh, was first starting out, you know, I think that the the word or the, the, the phrase, whatever, emo gets thrown around with that band. Were there sort of bands that you felt em- embraced some of those aspects uh, prior to y'all necessarily? Or- I mean, the whole emo thing, I has never really made sense to me because it just pretty much means like emotional, right? Right, which is what so, you and, want. And, and like, so the launching pad for art since the beginning of everything has always been in human emotions so totally how that is like some sort of new thing it's weird it doesn't make sense but it is what it is yeah an article about rights of spring i believe yeah. rights of spring was the origins that. of it yeah 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 so but then in the hardcore scene that we were you know a part of if someone called someone emo it was like an insult it meant you were the one that was like basically standing in front and screaming to show everybody how into it you were right you know and like you know like <laughs> seeking attention somebody i didn't say that but i heard someone say look at that emo guy i was like oh, i've never heard that before yeah, right. And I guess they got it from that article. But uh, so, yeah. And then all of a sudden, when people started calling us emo, we were all like, wait a minute, what? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, why? When did that happen? Right. So it used to bother me. It doesn't anymore. It's just like, whatever. I don't know. It's just songs. They're songs. That's I know, right? Are. Yeah. I was talking to drummer Adam Wade uh, of Shudder to Think and Drawbox mm. and all that. He's the one. He's also another cancer drummer. I think he's the mm. one that reminded me that you and I had the same birthday, which is crazy. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, and his, isn't his in July, too? He is. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. another cancer. Yeah, he's July. He's not late June. He's totally in July. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's close yeah. to us, I think, even. Yeah. But uh, on some of those Sunny Day real estate tours when y'all were first starting out, uh, I, I believe, didn't y'all play some shows with Shudder to Think? And, and did they seem as though that there were, those were kind of kindred spirits, maybe? Well, yeah, we, we, toured, we toured the last tour that Sunny Day did, and we were broken up when we did the tour. But basically, the tour was booked. We broke up like, well, let's finish. Let's do the tour. Right. So, but we were already fans of Shudder to Think previous yeah. to that. So, yeah, Kindred Spirits, or they were definitely an influence on Sunny Day, for sure. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very much an anomaly of a band. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I think what, what they did and what Sunny Day did, two different things. But I think in, in y'all doing your own things, I think that y'all were sort of separate from the pack, so to speak, in that sense. Yeah. So maybe yeah. there was that sort of Kindred Spirit. But, yeah, yeah that the Shudder to Think was a very off-kilter, bizarre even band, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Very, very, very interesting music, for sure. Absolutely. Were there any other bands around that time that maybe y'all toured with that you felt were, were also like complementary to what y'all were doing, necessarily? We went on tour 30-06, and uh, they were definitely, I don't think we didn't sound anything alike, but had a lot of the same inspirations and things. Right, so, right, right. Then we also toured with that Shutter to Think tour. Soul Copping went on the tour for part of it, and then... Uh, Brainiac. Okay. Brainiac as well. And they nice. were amazing. So, cool. but no one that really sound, no one that we really shared a similar sound or approach to everybody was completely different. Right. Yeah. Actually speaking of, speaking of Jesus lizard, sunny day actually played a show opening for Jesus lizard. And that was a very bizarre, that was a very completely different. Oh, wow. That's where we, yeah, that's where we first met him. But yeah, it was <laughs> the most terrifying sound check of my life having Mac McNeely in the room, but he was really, really nice immediately. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Well, with those first uh, two Sunny Day Real Estate records, and it sounds like there's no shortage of ups and downs over the course of those, obviously, you got to say the least, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, you obviously, you end up in the Foo Fighters, and I know with the way that that ended, obviously not the most ideal situation to say the least, but in, in getting in it, was it mixed emotions for you in that you were joining something that was sort of getting off the ground and was gaining traction, so you had an outlet for that, but maybe you weren't creatively involved in it, so then that, that, that was lacking? I mean... It was a pretty surreal experience just because there were a lot of fans that were already there that, right. you know, big fans of Nirvana, so waiting for anyone from Nirvana to do anything. Yeah. It was a very surreal experience. But yeah, no, I would definitely say that there wasn't much collaboration as far as like the approach towards creating the songs. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, that was the hard part. Gotcha. And then how long, I know it was a pretty extensive tour that that led up from the release of that first one to what with the second one that was released. But how long were y'all out for? I know there were some breaks, but... 17 months in total. Wow. Yeah. So no shortage of shows. My God. Yeah, I know. It was a lot. It was a lot. Were you you physically pretty beat from that? Yeah, it was it was hard. Physically, it was hard. But also like when you start when you're playing the same thing night after night after night for that long, it's kind of like saying a word to yourself over and over again until it stops making sense. You know, (laughs) right. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. it had kind of it started to kind of get go into that realm. I was like, like it was just it became this bizarre thing. But you know, got to the other side, but ultimately chose to leave. So right, right. When uh, when getting out of that that string of shows and everything that went down, were you did you have any injuries, lasting injuries that you were dealing with from that run of so many shows and all just that being so exhausted? Yeah, uh, yeah, and those but then those injuries continued to get worse. After that, after Sunny Day got back, got back together, and and I got to a point in around 2000 where that's where I had to basically deal with the issues head on, which was a process. Yeah. Was it mainly like like just carpal tunnel slash you know tendonitis? Yeah, hands constantly going numb. I couldn't lift my arms past this point without my shoulders just being like feeling like somebody was putting knives in them. Oh man. And every single night when I slept it just felt like I was sleeping with knives in my shoulders. That's Jesus. what it felt like. Oh. Yeah, I know, it was really brutal. And uh I could finally got to a point where it was like I have to do something, you know. So I did a lot of things. <laughs> you know, I did a whole different a very various combination of things, but one was cleaning my digestive system. The other one was stopping drinking, and the other one was rolfing. I don't know if you, if you know what rolfing is, mm-hmm. but it's basically like, you know, it's not massage. It's similar, but it's more like with elbows, you know, and pressure uh, and weight and basically pressure and time mm-hmm. to basically break down your muscle tissue and then let it rebuild itself back and get back to its original patent is what they would call it. Right. So that and then um, started uh, martial arts training. And uh, drinking like 12 ounces of wheatgrass a day, you know, four ounces every two hours, just basically just went completely berserk trying to like undo the damage, both from like, you know, say years of drinking and then also just, you know, bashing, bashing and also bashing without any kind of proper training. I never took lessons. You know, I was just a kid that just started doing it, you know, right. Were there ergonomic adjustments that that ensued at any point after all that physical rehabilitation necessarily? Yeah, some of them happened naturally and then others, you know, just sort of like talking to like, say, Jason McGurr from Death Cab for Cutie. And he helped me like work on my, uh, uh, you know, my grip and adjust my hand position Mm -hmm. and watch it, stuff like that. Right. 
in regards to you getting back in Sunny Day Real Estate, which is kind of where we're at, I guess, in the in the time frame here, uh, it, I found out sort of about how it feels to be something on after it had, it had been released. In fact, even after Rising Tide was released, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. I moved to uh, to New York from New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Wow. And then somehow, like, how it feels to be something on, I figure I, I don't remember how I even came across it, but I came across it and I was like, this album is amazing. And it kind of became the soundtrack for that point in my life. So I have this bizarre, like nostalgic connection to that sort of very strange time in my life where I was living in New York, having having lived in Louisiana my whole life prior to that. Yeah. And uh, it's bizarre when I listen to it. I still think about that time in my life, which is just wow. It's 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 really bizarre. But that being said, I, I listen to that record. I, one, I think your performance is is awesome on it. I think the record sounds great. I think the songs are great. What was it that sort of went into that record that? To my ear, it's that that band. I, I just feel like y'all never sounded better, man. Yeah, no, I, we were definitely. Well, it was a surprise that it actually ended up happening because originally, I got a call from our friend Greg Williamson, who was working with Jeremy Enoch a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, he basically was talking about us getting together and going through these old recordings of Sunny Days and putting out like a rarities record or something they were talking about, but then. I don't remember whose idea it was, but then we just ended up setting up in Jeremy's basement and then just went down there and then wrote that record, basically. Awesome. Started working on it, yeah. So, yeah, and then um, Nate was pretty busy, and so Jeff Palmer, who used to be in a band called The Mommy Heads, came in and played bass, and he's an amazing bass player, actually. Nice. So, So that was good, yeah. He actually, his bass playing... Uh, you know, is a big part of that record, I think. Absolutely. Killer bass playing, for sure. Yeah. Given, like, how the, the Foo Fighters thing went down, uh, and then you're now you're back in a studio, having not had the, the pan out with with that, like, mm-hmm. uh, were you, how were you, like, mentally, emotionally, for going into the studio, were you kind of dealing with a little bit of the Foo Fighters bullshit, so to speak, like, in the back, back of your head? or Because you sound great on that record, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there was a little bit of PTSD. It's the difference between working with a producer, basically, no matter what you did, wasn't going to be satisfied because they really didn't want you playing on the record anyway. Right. And then there's the difference between that and then a guy who's actually an f- old friend of yours. And so, yeah, it was pretty comfortable. What Did you knock out the, the drums pretty pretty quickly, do you recall? From what I remember, yeah. We didn't spend a, like a whole bunch of time on it. The Gretsch kit that you mentioned, is that what you recorded that record with? No, I use that same AOT kit that I was using in the Foo Fighters. Ah, damn, it yeah. sounds good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't have that <laughs> kit anymore, but uh, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, Every Shining Time You Arrive is one of those songs that I hear and I just love every every time. It's one of my all-time favorite songs from y'all by far. In particular, I think the groove that you played on it is killer, and the drums, the snare sounds like it's in, like it was recorded down a hall with like yeah. the snare in like a tiled basement or, or like a kitchen or something. It sounds amazing, man. Yeah, that's a Ke- it was a Keplinger snare drum. So yeah, I used an AI kit, but always... Kaplinger snare drum, but I should mention that. But and also the Bob Lang studio where we were recording is very, it's kind of a cavernous sounding place a little bit. Sounds like there's a lot of room mics on those drums. Uh, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm always a fan of that. And if you got a great room, great kit, you know, everything, the stars align. If you can have that in the mix, then that's, that's where some of the magic happens. And I think y'all got it on that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be careful if it's too cavernous. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you know. You know, I've grown more fond of wood than stone as far as like rooms, you know, uh-huh. for playing and recording and room sounds. But uh, 
like I really like what we're doing, what we're getting here. Right. And this is a very small room, but you know, it's just a very cool. It's got a very sort of gorilla approach. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With uh, I, do you recall who mixed uh, how it feels to be something on? Adam Casper. Okay, I don't know if I'm familiar with him. Pretty sure he did Super Unknown. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know he did that record. I'd have to go and check. What I know he's done a bunch of other records, but that's one that I know that because he was finishing that when he was about to start mixing ours. Uh huh. So. Was there were there aspects of uh, where uh, how it feels to be something on that were recorded live with just baffles, or was it all pretty isolated? Like we do the drums, we layer the bass, we you know that kind of process. Yeah, I know. I know we uh, we tracked all together, and then I but I know I think there maybe was. A song or two where we did the drum, uh, bass and drums live, nice. but then I do remember in, in my mind's eye, I can see him standing in the control room and tracking bass too. And then Jeremy and Dan, yeah, they overdubbed their guitars. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. With Rising Tide, man, um, and it's that's an interesting story with kind of what happened with the band coming out of that. But uh, yeah. again, amazing songs like One and Killed by an Angel. And I've talked to guys from like Cave In and J.R. Connors, the, the drummer, was telling me like how that record was a big influence on them and kind of how they sort of reinvented themselves at a particular point in time. Wow. The pro was the process of recording that record tougher, different? Uh, any, how was that different, I guess, from the previous record necessarily for you? No, it wasn't tougher. It was pretty relaxed. It was with Lou Giordano, who mm -hmm. did um, Sugar, Copper Blue, Bob Mould. And then uh, he also did Bob Mould's first two solo records. Mm -hmm. He also used to be Who's Produced Sound Man. Okay. And, um, but he, uh, he's a really, really nice guy. It was a really relaxed atmosphere. It was in an old church in upstate New York from like the 1800s. Awesome. And we were surrounded by massive amounts of snow. So, yeah, it was, but, it, but that was, it was uh, three months we were there. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that, that again, it's a more like clean sort of higher produced record, I feel like, quote unquote, than maybe how it feels to be something on there. They have two different kind of sounds to me. But, yeah, totally different. Yeah. yeah, right. But I mean, again, I, I think it it's it worked for you. I think that that record as well it sounds great and just has some incredible songs on it again. What happened with the band after that? I think was there some funding that fell out with the record company when y'all were about to go out on tour after that? Is that what happened with that? I know that Time Bomb was a subsidiary of Arista, and basically Arista basically dropped Time Bomb. Ah. And. So then we basically, our record just basically became a, a record owned by them, but just sort of stuck on a shelf in a way. Released, but not really supported. Gotcha. But we went on tour anyway, you know, and that was fine. People came to see us, but uh, but yeah, it, was, it got to be a little frustrating just because from anybody, I mean, you know, we were just like, they have the record, they own that record. And, you know, it's like, it's, and but they don't even talk to us. It's weird. Wow for how it feels to be something on who who put that one out record company wise sub pop oh okay so i imagine there was a little bit more of an artist to record company relation especially with well, sure yeah exactly and then uh, y'all yeah. just get your record that you just worked on shelved well yeah well and then also the guys from time bomb we would interact with them constantly but then after yeah after that it was like and then you know Arista owned it I've, i have I've never met anybody from i have no idea never met anybody from there damn man yeah. So yet another another setback, man. So that's the, the, the sunny day story. Uh, from what I know, it's it's quite true, tr truly just peaks, valleys, and everything in between, man. It's a fucking crazy ride, huh? 
Yeah, even more so than than you know, but uh, you know, it's almost like going into details and trying to explain it is almost more frustrating than interesting. <laughs> both to, both to tell and hear, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then after that we did the Fire Theft record. Absolutely, so. which I also love, man. Great great songs on that like Chain, Summertime, Waste Time, Heaven. Amazing songs. I've I've been a fan of Jeremy's voice. I thought that the songs were strong. Again, I think your playing is great. Particularly, uh, I love your playing on Summertime, man. Every time I, I hear that, it's just classic, great, big drums, you know? Oh, I use that 76 Bicentennial Vista Light on that record, actually, except for one song. Come on. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. drum set sounds killer on that record. Yeah, well, it was Brad Wood that produced it, and he's got the, you know, I can get a good drum sound anywhere attitude. So we recorded that in our house that we lived in at the time. Really? Basically in the band, yeah. And there, there were some subsequent shows that y'all did do, do some shows, some, I guess, some minimal touring after that record? Yeah, no, we toured, we toured the U.S. a few times, I think, and then Europe once, I believe, yeah. And then after that, yeah, and then, you know, and then Jeremy decided to go do some solo stuff. And and then I started playing with a project called Brawley Banks for a while. Okay. And then that started in, like, 2008. And then in 2009, Sunny Day did a reunion tour. But, yeah. It, it sounds like Jeremy sort of comes and goes, but y'all, you, the two of you have managed to uh, withstand everything and, I guess, maintain a relationship throughout all of this and different projects and everything all over. How many years has it been? So I met Jeremy when he was 14 and I was 16 and I am 40. How old am I now? 49, I think. Yeah, I think. 40, you, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's do the math. How many years? That's a long time. A long time. Uh, we know that much. Yeah. You know, I just talked to him a few days ago, actually. Awesome. Is there any, I mean, I know you're obviously doing the assertion thing. Of course, live music in general is everything has been so suspended and strange as of late. Is there talk at all that maybe the, the, uh, any sunny day plans might arise at some point down the line? Well, I know uh, Jeremy's going to maybe come out and do some playing on the assertion record. Awesome. But just for the hell of it, just for fun. But as far as anything sunny day real estate wise, I just don't know. Yeah. Time will tell. Totally. But my relationship with Jeremy is good. My relationship with Dan was not good, but it is now. So that's good. Gotcha. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> sure. I, I will say this. I'm not opposed to it. I'm perfectly, you know, I'd be very much so into hell recording stuff here. Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, we talked a little bit about some of your drums throughout the years, but uh, at some point, and correct me if I'm wrong, what was one of the bigger ride cymbals that you played? Oh, oh, it's right there. Is that a 29-inch ride over there? Behind the bit, that, that. Pretty sure it's 29. That's outrageous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How the hell did you find a cymbal case for that fucking thing? <laughs> I had one custom made. <laughs> yeah, and that thing was a huge pain in the ass. Oh, it had to have been. Yeah, so I had a 30-inch ride that was really thick that I would play on my right with just my fist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, and then that, my, the 29 was like my main one. Is it 29 or 28? It doesn't matter. It's still ridiculously big, but uh, yeah. that was my main ride, yeah, here. But yeah, yeah, I know. Pretty crazy. I just found it in this this uh, store, like somewhere in the south, like this old, you know, music shop. It was almost like an antique store, but, you know, I was sitting there, and I was like, that. <laughs> it's amazing. And then you had to figure out, uh, find, find, have a case uh, custom made for the damn thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like an anvil case. Yeah, it had wheels on it, but it was ridiculously huge. And I still have that. That's downstairs, actually. Amazing. Yeah, it's a, yeah, pain in the ass, though. <laughs> Damn, man. So we've kind of gone through the, the phases of your playing and, and different bands, et cetera, projects and whatnot. We mentioned Assertion at the top of this. I know you'll have a new record coming out. You have a new song that's going to be released. So tell me a little bit about what to expect coming up in the next couple of months or so. Uh, so, so the first single has been released, Supervised Suffering. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, the BBC Radio 1 and uh, we were the song of the week nice. on there yesterday, I believe, which was, yeah, we were like, what? So that was kind of cool. And, uh, and then, yeah, we have uh, the Lamb, Lamb of the Slaughter Pulls a Knife is the second single. Okay. And that's coming out on the 25th. Gotcha. And the, re- the record itself is coming out on the 9th. So, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Looking forward to that, man. So, yeah. And then, I mean, I know we're planning on doing some touring, just sort of waiting for things to be possible, you know, to do that again. And, uh, but then aside from that, we've been, you know, since we couldn't go out and play shows or tour we just kept writing and recording yeah. so we finished that record and we're about 70 percent into the second record so awesome congrats yeah, on that which is really cool yeah i'm really excited about that one nice look at you back in the saddle and you got a productive band and the time down just to make the best of it to be able to record and all this stuff it sounds like you've been on a good roll man well yeah thanks to justin Tominga. basically you know it's he brought the mics and the, you know the gear here and he's been engineering so i've just been fortunate enough to be playing with him so absolutely man well, man, uh, it was great talking to you. I appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I, uh, when I watched that few Foo Fighters documentary, there was, there was a point in time where you said something about how you thought that maybe people's perceptions of you as a drummer would be like the guy that played in Foo Fighters and what did or didn't happen with this and that and the other. But mm-hmm. everyone I've ever talked to about you, uh, none of that is ever mentioned. And all it ever is is, oh, that guy's like my favorite drummer. I love his bombast. I love his sound. I love his groove. I love all that. And I'm in that camp as well. So it was awesome talking to you, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, happy early uh, birthday, July 4th. You as well. I'll, I'll have some champagne for you on our mutual birthday. Right on. Yeah, yeah. All sparkling cider. There you go, man. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> right on. Thanks for talking to me, Will. Thank you, sir. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in and hope y'all enjoyed it. Thanks to Will for hanging and super cool catching up with him as I am a fan and I'm not the only one. New assertion record out April 9th. We'll catch y'all on the next one. Crash, bang, boom.